the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Every morning is a new opportunity to take in the news of the day and the challenges of life and try to make sense of it all. Right now, we've got a show that tackles the topics and asks what you think. So get ready to start your day with a bold look at history as it happens. Let's learn, live, and sometimes laugh together. It's the Mark Davis Show on 660 AM. The answer. And welcome, everybody. Nine o'clock hour underway. Early voting underway. So, gosh, I guess you could say we'll be paying attention to some races, either from the 30,000-foot level and talking about what I think of them or what you think of them. That uh, that narrative is woven through every day's show. But as we just did in the Congressional uh, District 26 race, our visit with Brandon Gill, uh, we now head into the awesome environment and see what's going on in a house district this time up it is 61 we're talking mckinney frisco some anna some salina and carissa richardson joins us she is challenging frederick frazier an incumbent in the primary hey carissa welcome how are you Good morning, Mark. I'm great. I'm excited to get this going. Well, it is a pleasure to have you. Appreciate it. Just some personal notes. I've, Chris and Jr. are the, the. It's not just Benjamin Franklin Plumbing. You have an entire empire of sort of plumbing and HVAC and stuff like this. Tell us a little bit about your private sector life. Sure. We have plumbing, HVAC, electrical, uh, refrigeration, and pest control companies around the state of Texas. So we've been in business for 40 years, and um, just. Worked hard, just good old hard-working people. And, and um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say. I was just it, saying that's it's time to do something else. God well, told, well, told me to do something else. I was, was going to say <laughs> that the the private life that, that you and Jr. have had and, and the political life have interspersed. I mean, I've been to y'all's house, and I want to say it was it was a while back, and I want to say Ken Paxton was in the house. I want to say it might have been a Sam Johnson, might have been a uh, I don't know if it was back in the era of Santorum, who's been kind enough to, to give you an endorsement. But you sure. and, and your husband have been sort of politically plugged in for, for a good while in supporting the things that mean something to you. At what point did you say, you know, I don't want to do more than that. I want to actually run. What was that decision uh, built behind? Well, as as all of us have seen, we're losing our, our state. We're losing our nation. We are um, – our culture is slipping, and and we have been – I guess in Texas we take it for granted that we've had it good, and we've allowed the um, the left to infiltrate our school boards and our city councils and our our counties and, and our state. And I want a Texas for my children and grandchildren like I grew up. I want I want safe schools. I want a closed border. I want uh, election integrity. I want parental rights. And I saw all of these things dwindling away, and I knew that I had to stand up and do something about it because um, we just can't roll over and play dead. We've got to fight. So my mantra is Texans fight, and that's what we're doing. We're fighting back, and we're taking back Texas. My first question for anybody challenging an incumbent is, to what degree have you found Mr. Frazier not doing those things that are important to you? Oh, my. Uh, Well, I'm trying to run a positive campaign. A lot of negative, but I will speak truth. 
Um, he, he has a fiscal score of 38, which means 38 out of 100, that's an F in anybody's book. So he's wasting our money. He changed his vote 61 times his first session in office. So he would vote uh, with, the, um, with the leftists and then go in and change his vote so the constituents wouldn't know how he was voting. He's been bought and paid for by the special interest groups and the lobbyists. And he's not doing what's in the best interest of the citizens of Collin County. So I just knew that, um, that I had to take him out. That's just the way it is. Let's talk about a couple of differences between the, obviously, if you're in office, you have a track record. And if you're seeking office, you say, I would, here are some things I would do differently. Uh, He was a Paxton impeachment vote. Would you have been? No, I would not. I I didn't see any evidence. I watched every minute of that trial and, and I just didn't see evidence to convict. So no, I would not have voted to convict. Uh, I, I believe he did uh, side with Governor Abbott on school choice, which some folks did not. But what's your thought on the whole school choice um, imbroglio? I believe in parental rights. And whether it's homeschool, public school, private school, or charter school, I believe the parents know what's best for their child. And they need to put their child in an environment where that individual child will succeed. And I believe the money needs to follow the child. Then are there any other issue differences that if, if people are looking at this and saying, oh, here I am, because obviously name of the game, if you're challenging an incumbent is here's how I would be different. Are there any other issue differences? Have you guys done any forums, appearances, debates, or just do you happen to know of any ways in which you would vote differently than Mr. Frazier? Sure. I mean, I'm a big Second Amendment guy, and um, he wants police to have guns, but not so much the citizens. So some of his some of his votes in the legislature were um, – we're not in support of the Second Amendment, so um, so that's a big deal. Um, and again, the um, I guess just transparency. Um, I, I don't believe he's being truthful with the audience and um, and with his constituents. So uh, gun rights, parental rights. He did vote uh, in the fourth session for the education bill, but it was after they took out the um, the voucher requirement, and he finally came around to vote for that, but um, but I want that voucher put back in. I want parents to have the rights. So um, so it's all about safety, security, um, you know, just the American way. Do I'm, we, just, I'm just a conservative. Do we have uh, what we might call a Dade-Feeling problem, Democrat chairs, et cetera, et cetera? It seems like there's a kind of a battle of the cultures of an Austin swamp versus those who want to shake it up. I mean, do you do affix you yourself to that is what your thought on the, sure, on the current absolutely. speaker situation? Go ahead. Yes. Well, the, Dave Phelan has to go. He has to go. Um, this has been going on for at least 15 years in the Texas House where the Democrats vote in a block. And then whoever wants to be speaker, they go out and donate a large amount of money to as, Republicans as we, to get the vote for them. Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. I lost myself for a second there. As we take a look at, at the, the future and, and what Austin may look like and the various people who are, are looking at, at trying to, to become part of the next legislative session year after uh, year after next, what are the kind of things that if you win that you would like to, to see happen in our, our supposedly red state where a lot of people have said that things are not uh, not not as red as they could be? What kind of reforms do you uh, do you favor? Well, obviously, closed border. I appreciate what the governor is doing in closing the border. That's uh, infiltrating Texas, increasing crime, fentanyl, our education system, our health care system is it's destroying Texas. So that, that has to happen. That's everyone's priority issue. And then education, uh, allowing parents to have the right to put the kids where they want them to be. And so parental rights, again, the um, uh, election integrity, we need to give the ability back to Ken Paxton so he can prosecute the cheating that's going on in Texas. And we do have 
um, an election integrity problem in Texas. So that's big. Uh, and then property tax. We have got to revamp our property tax system because it is broken. And um, I believe we need to do away with Robin Hood and we need to um, take some of the burden off of the property owners because we just can't sustain this. We're uh, it's just it's too big of a burden on the individual homeowners. So do you think, uh, spending a couple of moments on property taxes, we, we, we got something that looked like some type of relief. Was it just, was it not enough? And what, what further uh, path would you like to take? Well, it's temporary. Uh, we're going to have a little relief for a couple of years, but we have to take that further. I believe we need some sort of consumption tax added to that. Again, take everything, take some of the burden off of property tax owners, property owners. And consumption tax would be like, Perhaps every time somebody comes to a convention in Texas, there's a portion of that money that gets set aside to, uh, for our public schools. We need to, um, sometimes they call it a sin tax. Maybe it's an alcohol tax or a cigarette tax. You know, we have all these uh, consumption type taxes, and I think we need to restructure it and, and put some of that on, on consumption. Maybe it's a tariff on the oil and the gas that we sell, but we need to restructure this so that the burden is not 100% on the property owners. Looks like the legislature may get uh, the, the t- we were asked a lot, and the, the answer has historically been no. Maybe it's on the verge of changing. If you are asked uh, as a member of the Texas House whether uh, statewide casino gambling is a good idea, what would you say? I'm against it. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of other uh, crime and criminal activity that comes with gambling, and um, and I just feel like we're opening ourselves up to more problems. We've got enough problems right now uh, with the crime rates going up and what's happening at the border, and I just don't see adding to that. Carissa, I, I'm against it. Carissa Richardson running for Texas House. The website is Carissa, K-E-R-E-S-A, CarissaForTexas.com. The district is 61. Much appreciated, Carissa. Thanks so much. Best to you and Jr. and talk to you soon. Thank you, Mark. Bye-bye. Carissa Richardson. Carissa is running for Texas 61. Incumbent Frederick Frazier. Fred will join us tomorrow as we work our way through various uh, races in the uh, Texas House. Carissa, K-E-R-E-S-A, Carissa for Texas.com. It is 919. All right. It is Tuesday, Feb 20, 2024. 62 years ago today, the John Glenn orbital flight. So there you go. Three orbits caught us up to the Russians for at least a bit. It's all about the uh, getting to the moon first thing, though. Seven years later, we did that. All right, let's get to this. This is uh, th- this was kind of an interesting moment on uh, on Laura Ingram last night. Uh, by the way, Laura tonight is a Trump town hall, and what we have with Trump. And Haley, the, the latest real, real clear politics average in, in South Carolina, Nikki Haley's own state. And this doesn't mean they hate her. It just means that all of the things being equal, you know, the good governor, U.N. ambassador. Yay. That was great. But if it's time to pick a president of the United States, a conservative state like South Carolina, filled with a, a very Trump friendly GOP, uh, at the moment, looks like Trump wins this thing by like 30 um, nobody ever is going to say, wow, it looks like I'm about to get stomped, but there's this. I'm not stopping. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to do this for the long haul and we're going to finish it. Does that mean you will not support him if he's the Republican nominee? 
That means I'm going to run and I'm going to win. And y'all can talk about support later. Right now, you can ask him if he's going to support me when I'm the nominee. So, you know, all right, that's that's sort of the nervy thing that you say when you are are, are, are looking at, at a when you're looking at a, a a tough result here on Saturday in the South Carolina primary is Saturday. Uh, immediately thereafter, last, on last night's Laura, great uh, one two punch of guests, the great Victor Davis Hanson and, uh, and Ben Dominich. Yeah, she's getting close to that point. I mean, there's a lot of strategies. George Bush, and you remember in 1980, kept at it, even though he, did, he didn't have a chance to win. And maybe uh, Reagan in 76, didn't, he lost the first seven, but he was pulling ahead in all the subsequent primaries, and he won his home state by 65 points. So I don't see any of those scenarios for her. I guess maybe she thinks... Donald Trump might have legal problems and be inert, and then she would step in. And the only other alternative is she's going to go the full Liz Cheney, Laura, and just become a never-Trumper. I don't know what the strategy is. She's hurting her chances for 2028. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting point. You know, we, we sit here and we've been talking about 2024 since 2020, <laughs> you think. And there are some nuggets of 2028 strategy uh, in the breeze. Because uh, a, a still young uh, Ron DeSantis obviously figures, and I think he will be remembered fondly uh, for just every what we learned about him. A lot of people learned about him this year. Nikki Haley is what fifty two now, uh, a spring chicken by today's leadership standards. So maybe folks do have to be thinking about what what kind of stock they will bring to the table. Because Trump's running mate, if we are blessed with a Trump victory, uh, whoever Trump's running mate is will certainly have a bit of an inside track uh, for the uh, for for the twenty twenty eight nomination. Well, ben, oh, 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 by the way, by the way, twenty twenty eight Republican convention, Houston, Texas. Thank you. Obviously, has an enormous amount of money uh, that the plutocrats have poured into her coffers. Uh, but if she if she wants to have a political future at all, I mean, she's and I said this after Iowa. If she wants to have a political future, drop out after Iowa. She didn't. Obviously, keeps it going, keeps it going. Um, but at this point, what's what is the point other than to help Biden? Well, I'm going to disagree slightly, and it's always a bad idea to disagree with Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, but uh, I'll disagree slightly only in the sense that I don't think she has any shot in 2028. So I don't think that it's actually going to hurt her chances uh, to stick around uh, because they were so low anyway. Uh, look, it, eh, let's spend a minute on that. And I love Ben. Uh, anybody who's a big name now who falls short, I mean, Vivek is going to be a big deal in 28 if he wants to be. Um, because these are, if you have something going for you, Chris Christie, I don't think so. Not so much. Uh, Rubio, who didn't really run, I didn't run at all is, is, could be a name in 2028. And I know that the, the whole, the Nikki Haley observation right now is that she is an annoyance and there is no reason other than ego or Trump hatred for her to be running at all. But you know what? Folks run against folks. It happens all the time. And and people can have whatever reasons they wish. And maybe it is self-absorption and maybe it is some type of, of grudge. But, you know, Nikki Haley, may, she may be U.N. ambassador again. You know, Trump may turn around and offer her that as some kind of olive. Not He needs to offer anybody an olive branch. But um, Nikki Haley knows that her best path forward is to play nice with others. 
once she is driven from this race, which will happen sooner rather than later. Uh, but there's there's no reason whatsoever why she wouldn't be at, at least a factor worthy of some consideration in 28. I don't know. And again, will she get past sort of the, the, the globalist uh, uh, aroma that comes off her now with her forever war stances in Ukraine? Maybe that'll change. That'll probably all be over, one hopes, by then. And uh, so, I don't know. I don't know. And on that point, let me, having reached the end of that paragraph, let's hop into the newsroom, come back little more on uh, what what lies ahead for uh, for Nikki Haley in four days, uh, what happened at a charter school in Mesquite where they had a kid uh, with a gun who refused to put it down, didn't wind up shooting anybody, so that's a good thing. But anytime you get kid with gun in school, it's like, okay, better pay attention to that. And Newt was on the TV box last night talking about uh, that we'll, we'll never totally get rid of cheating, so what should we do? So we'll take a look at all those things and things of your contribution at 866-660-5759. Mark Davis, 931. Nikki Whaley is in the newsroom. That is the great Peter Wolf out front of the Jay Giles Band. Got to give it to me. What a great record. You got to give it to me. In the years that followed, gosh, she had centerfold, freeze frame. I've been through diamonds. I've been through minks. I've been through it all. Love stinks. The greatness of the Jay Giles band. Now, the vocal there uh, is Peter Wolf, and that's not the birthday. The birthday is the actual Jay Giles on the guitar and the guy from whom, uh, for whom the band is named, the great Jay Giles himself. Would have been 76 today, passed away back in 17. But that Jay Giles band uh, library is just, is just a fun place to be. All righty. Um, so here's a fun place to be, is assessing 2028 uh, prospects. I wanted Ben Dominich to finish the point that he had about it. It's, it's funny. I guess my feeling that you don't count anybody out four years to go is people can change. They can get a whiff. They can get a clue. They can adjust if they're smart anyway. And and maybe here's here's a little bit of, of, the, of the Ben Dominich. His reasons why he thinks she's just done forever for life are the reasons why she has been done for a long time in 24. Because they were so low anyway. Uh, look, Nikki Haley represents the past. She's a callback to, you know, the before time, the long ago. You know, really, in a way, I think that, you know, what she represents is, you know, sort of the last ditch act of a Republican Party that wants to be more corporatist, less populist, uh, and less in touch with its own voters. Bingo. And this is the change that's happening before our eyes on the national scene and on the local scene. More corporatist, less populist, more globalist, less in touch with its own voters. Trump did this, but it's now about even more than him. It's about all kinds of people, some of whom echo him, some don't necessarily. But there is a new way of being a conservative Republican. There is a new path, a new approach. And and this is what makes a, even a, a young woman like Nikki Haley at 52 look like a dinosaur. And I think that that's unfortunately uh, the person that you ended up with as the last fallback uh, in case of Donald Trump having the kind of legal uh, problems that you referenced. It's It's something, though, that I think is increasingly unlikely 
That's why you see the desperation from the Joe Biden White House, because they thought they had all these outs. They, they thought that they had all these opportunities to undo uh, Donald Trump's uh, success uh, this year through legal means. And yet what we see after the Fonnie Willis situation and everything you represented uh, in your opening uh, monologue those chances are going away very rapidly, and the American people are seeing through them, which means you're going to have to beat Donald Trump on your own terms, something that looks increasingly mm. unlikely for Joe Biden to be able to do. Which is what leads us to this is a, the call of the day today. Well, we're not done yet, but so far at least was uh, about an hour and a fraction ago. A guy called and said, Mark, if if you and all the conservatives and you know talk radio and other media spend all this time talking about how decrepit and and ill-suited Joe Biden is to continue in this gig. Be careful what you wish for. Aren't you helping uh, achieve a potential broad objective wisdom where we wind up showing him the door and and we end up with somebody that's harder to beat? And and it was very it was a great question. But I said, what what do I do for a living? I look at things that are happening and comment on them. I can't just ignore one. I mean, talk about the elephant, or in this case, maybe the donkey in the room, if we're going with party mascots. Uh, the the cognitive decline of Joe Biden is the story of the moment. And, I mean, there are lots of stories of the moment, but it, it is the, it's the 2024 storyline that is probably the most pressing right now. And this, and this is how I start my Star-Telegram column, which, again, should post uh, later today or tomorrow. It's that this year, at this point right now, as winter gets ready to turn to spring, the question was supposed to be, who will face Biden in November? You know, big Republican scrum, big Republican primary. Sure, Trump's the front runner, but you never know how things are going to work out. You know, six, seven, eight, nine months ago, the question was like, okay, who's going to face Biden? Now the question is, I mean, Trump is baked in. The question is, who's going to face Trump? Will will it be Biden? And just just if you're new to the show, I'm going to say that it is until, but, I, but I'll put a big asterisk or as they say in Maryland, an asterisk, right next to that, uh, that, that says that, that something could change at any moment. If there's some whiff that comes off this White House that says, eh, Joe might be having second thoughts. We might be headed to LBJ style, March 31st, 1968. I will not seek nor will I accept my party's nomination to be your president. Might we, might we get that from Biden? We might, but there's zero indication, zero that that would happen, uh, that, that's a, that that's about to happen. Of course, a lot of, a lot of days ahead, a lot of days ahead. Scott, happy Tuesday. How are you, sir? Yes, sir, Mark. A uh, couple of challenges to you. During yesterday's show, you sort of blatantly called a caller historically illiterate when you were having a Ukraine-Putin conversation. Correct. And, of course, the caller was making the statements of, you know, the typical historical comparisons of the 37, 38 and Hitler and all that stuff, which I would challenge you. And I've called you before. Uh, you, you can't you can't say that to that caller. He you. you of course you I can. Are, and I did. You are. You may be not absolutely wrong, which I think you are wrong. But I, but you are certainly there's plenty of historical data that would say you're not uh here's here's not here's here, here's where the history i tell you what here's where the historical illiteracy would come from that is borrowing from something in the past and presuming that that must mean that this is an echo of that in the present this may help you it would be well, i don't know if it'd be it would be historically irresponsible of me to to guarantee that putin does not have further designs what do i know 
the, the, the historical illiteracy, kind of like constitutional illiteracy, can involve short-sightedness. It is a leap to a presumption that is not necessarily historically well-founded. If, if you take a look at—I'll finish. I'll finish. I'll finish. If you take a look at the late 30s and look at, at Hitler and go, wow, I, I really hope that Putin is not a Hitler starter kit, okay— but in the forever war crowd, there is a necessity to this. It is their calling card. It is their clarion cry that if we somehow have a, a peace settlement where we can stop, you know, uh, excuse me, pissing away billions of dollars on this fool's errand, that that, must, that that absolutely is like Neville Chamberlain. Here comes Putin. He is the next Hitler, and he will, he will move on Poland within a year. That is rank historical illiteracy to assert that with such certainty. And it's ranked. It's ranked to say the opposite. Also, I'm not saying the, I'm not saying the opposite. I think I just said about 60 seconds ago that that I absolutely am not guaranteeing that he wouldn't. Anybody can do anything, but you have to base foreign policy on things that appear likely, things that might happen. Here's something that might happen: a Trump presidency. And if we get him inaugurated, please, God, uh, January 20th of 2025, two things will happen. Number one, I think this war will end within a month. There'll be some type of settlement that might not make everybody happy, but at least the war will end. And you'll have Trump in the White House and thus a less likely adventurous Vladimir Putin. Well, that brings my second reason I wanted to call you is yesterday, I think, no, maybe when you had that call with Gorka, I can't remember if it was you or him, but one of you talked about that uh, Haley had no moral compass. And for you to be such a, uh, a Trump sycophant that you can sit there and say that Haley has no moral compass when you're dealing with- Did I say that? That has, it Did, was either you or Gordon. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was obviously Seb, who's, who's a little more, a uh, little more juiced on some of those uh, political uh, lines to be drawn. That is not an observation that I would make. So call him. Okay. But- I, I, I question that. I, I, I wonder. I've always wanted to ask you two questions on, on Trump and everything. Sure. Why did he fire Espers when he fired Espers? And who's responsible? Who's primarily responsible in the Trump orbit for the ridiculous, ludicrous Dominion voting machine uh, conspiracy theory? Two things. Uh, the the Espers the Espers uh, singular. Excuse me. Uh, Department of Defense thing was of a cousin to the various other revolving door issues in the Trump cabinet. If there's something that he needed to learn to do better, and I believe he has, he talks about it a lot, it's gauging people better at the front end, you know, whether it is Kelly, whether it is Mattis, whether it is Scaramucci, whether it's John Bolton, a number of people who he let in who turned out had their own agendas, not so much with, with the very brief Defense Secretary Esper, but with others. And I think you've got to, if, if you're Trump in 2.0, you should probably try to do two things at once. Find people who will be loyal to you and who will be in harmony with your agenda, but who also inherently and objectively have a skill set that will serve you well. I think Trump leaned too much on the former and not enough on the latter. And I think a second term of his will will be better. Number two, as far as the Dominion voting debacle and the, the assertion, the strong assertion that there was something, you know, that uh, they were jimmying with those things from Venezuela. As Sidney Powell and I forget who her cohort was, 
spun further out of any sensible orbit on that, Trump himself didn't find himself beating that drum so often. Uh, This wound up being the province of people who so desperately needed to be able to prove what they knew was true, and that is that something wrong happened in, in 2020, but they wanted to be able to quantify it, to be able to say, look what we found. Here's hard evidence of this. I, for one, just to talk about stuff I said, was one who said that would never happen. That, that we will never have a judge bring a gavel down and say, Poom, we somehow magically now know Trump won Wisconsin by 15,000 votes. So it was never going to happen. It was always going to be some notion that the Constitution was fouled by states changing their rules on the fly unconstitutionally. And thus, this is an electoral result that should have perhaps gone to, to, to the Congress. As far as, just to, I'll give it back to you for a second, as far as that whole Dominion fetish uh, that that wound up dwindling as the year as the as the months and years passed. Trump himself didn't wind up talking about it very much after uh, after some time went by. So, what's your thought? Well, I I would contend, and I I think uh, there's some uh, uh, reading uh, some of the uh, transcript from the uh, from the uh, uh, the committee that uh, Espers was fired specifically because he specifically told Trump that the American military serves no role in settling elections as a number of people. And he had a major heartburn. Well, that, that, that's if that's well, then, then good, because if, if any defense secretary has his, uh, you know, undies in a wad over over hypotheticals, then maybe that's uh, an indication of lack of seriousness. All righty. Nine fifty. Final words next. Take me alive. Don't take me alive from the royal scam. 1976. On Walter Becker's birthday. We'll let the boys of the dam take us out for producer Ron Decay Moreland on the old X Twitter at producer Ron Decay, R O N D A capital K. Thank Mr. Matt for the technical guru skills and Nikki for news excellence. Mike Gallagher is next. Couple of things. Go to 660AMTheAnswer.com and do two things. Get yourself a seat if you don't have one yet for one week from tonight. The aforementioned Dr. Sebastian Gorka will bring his red hot opinions to DFW. We got a cigar night at Cigars International. You, me, Seb, be there. Get your tickets at 660AMTheAnswer.com. And throw us a couple of bucks there in our Food for the Poor campaign. Help some kids in Latin America and Caribbean. We thank you enormously. Both of those at 660AMTheAnswer.com. Mark Davis, see you in the morning. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.